Well, a while ago, I joined up on Twitter so I could follow some of the news stories that unfold in real time, things like election results, a bit more easily. I don't know if anyone else is also on that particular platform, but people often talk about how toxic social media can be. And I've seen this in action since I started following it a bit more closely. And one of the things that I notice is that what people tend to do on that kind of platform, more than anything else, or you know, particularly when they're talking about politics, um, is to accuse people that we don't like of being hypocrites in some way. Um, in a short soundbite, if you want people to, to like it and to get a bit of traction, the easiest thing to do to do that is to find someone that you don't like and pick up a small way that they're inconsistent with their values or their actions, and then you can use that to discredit them. It's very easy. Um, this also happens in the opinion you know, sections of the newspaper or the news. Uh, for those who don't follow something like social media, you can still see it happening uh, all around us. And the reason I say this is it seems to me that there is very little that we find more objectionable or easy to criticise in other people than hypocrisy. So let's think about hypocrisy for a minute. What is it? Well, hypocrisy is essentially, I think, when someone says they believe something or what they say they value and the way that they actually behave and what they do, those things don't line up. So when our beliefs and our actions don't are not consistent. Hypocrites are people who are inconsistent. They don't show integrity in their life. A hypocrite might often be compared to someone wearing one of those masks in the theatre performance that they wear. The face they present to the world is not the real person. It doesn't match up with what's beneath or what they do in other, in other circumstances. So today in our reading from Luke's Gospel, it describes a major confrontation between Jesus and the religious leaders of his day which centres on his accusation that they were dangerous hypocrites. If you read the Gospels, one of the main features of sort of Jesus' profile, his character personality, one of the things that people kind of know about Jesus, who don't know very much perhaps, was that he had an ongoing conflict at the time with overtly religious people around him. Um, and that should always be perhaps a source of irony and reflection for those of us who are Christians, because he is still the founder of the largest religion in the world. Um, and, it might, and that might seem strange if we think about it, because he was actually quite a rebel in with regards to religion in his own time, as it was being practiced in Judea in that period, for many reasons, and uh, there's more of them to come. But I want to think more about that observation then. What does it mean for the church today? But first, it's good for us to look through this story to see how that theme of hypocrisy unfolds here. So at this point in the gospel story, Jesus is still in the process of making enemies of the Pharisees. Um, he hadn't quite got there yet to the point where they were trying to have him killed. So he was invited at this point to a meal still at a Pharisee's house again, as he was a few chapters ago. And a conversation is sparked at that meal because they notice that he doesn't wash himself before the meal, as was the custom at the time. So I want to give you a bit of a tip today if you'd like to be a student of the Gospels and understand what Jesus is talking about in these sort of um, situations. Often it's really helpful if you have a grasp of, how, of some of the books of the law in the Old Testament, particularly the book called Leviticus. It's the third book in the Bible. Leviticus, if you're not familiar with it, it's basically a set of laws for Israelite worship and religious practices. Yeah, so around how do you go to worship, how do you do sacrifices, religious hygiene and purity, how do you select priests and all those sorts of things. This is what Leviticus is about. And now Leviticus 
regularly tops the lists of people's least favourite books in the Bible. Um, and it's very difficult for us to read. It's obscure for us. It has very, doesn't seem to relate to much in our own lives. But what it does, essentially, is it lays out a view in practical terms of what it means for people to approach and to live with a holy God at the centre of their community and some of the things that they do symbolically to indicate that that's the case. And the laws of Leviticus are designed so that everyone in the nation knows what to do to, so they're able to be pure in the sense of not being contaminated by sin and things that will degrade their spiritual lives and their physical lives before God. So what we find in the Gospels is that Jesus is often actually reacting to that tradition from Leviticus and the rules that had been derived from it in his own time. And so symbolic cleanliness and washing is a big part of that tradition. So when they, the issue of washing before a meal that the Pharisees were concerned about, it's not just about being hygienic, about germs. It's about being publicly and personally committed to a pure life before God. And that's why the Pharisee is surprised that Jesus doesn't wash. Jesus is supposed to be a holy man. He should be very religious and do things the way they should be done. Okay, but Jesus then knows what he's thinking and he has a word for him and for the others like him, the Pharisees and the experts in the law seem to be kind of two separate groups here. The main complaint he has of them is they are very literally, they are hypocrites about this topic. They are very publicly concerned with keeping rules around cleanliness, around purity and religious hygiene and all these practices from Leviticus and other places. But he says, apart from that, they don't in their own hearts and in their own actions actually live the way of purity that those laws are supposed to represent. So in verse 29 he says, Now then, you Pharisees, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people, did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor and everything will be clean for you. So, but Jesus is saying purity, the kind of purity Leviticus is supposed to encourage and is designed to show, it's really about a pure heart. It's really about real worship of God, people being changed inside, and pure intentions of generosity, humility and love, and pure actions of charity and general justice towards other people. For Jesus, if you do those things, then you are pure regardless of whether you wash or in a ritual way in the ceremonies that are laid out in the law. So this is his basic principle, the hypocrites. And he says, and he gives them these series of woes then, the woes that come from this hypocrisy. So he gives th these, it's a series of them if you listen to the reading. There's three for the Pharisees and three for the legal experts. And there are a series of the ways that they're hypocrites or that their hypocrisy is affecting other people. So firstly, he goes on to the Pharisees. Well, he starts with the observation that the Pharisees are tithers financially. And they're actually extreme tithers, you might say, because they make sure that God gets absolutely 10% of everything that they have, down to the herbs that they pick from their garden. Imagine going through your herbs container and trying to get 10% out of it and giving that to it. That's the kind of thing that they would do, because they really wanted to fill the law. They kept that law to a T. But apart from that, they don't really, he says, really care about God. They don't help people who need it. It doesn't translate to a generous life. It's just a law. 
And secondly, he says, these holy men, they love being important and proud in public. They love being seen in the synagogue. They love to sit in the most important seats. You know, that's, you know they sit, end up sitting down the front here. Sorry for anyone who's sitting down the front. Um, though probably the back corner is the most important seat in our church, I know. Um, but they, don't, they worry about how people see them religiously, but they don't care about how God sees their hearts once they step out and in private. They're not interested in that. Finally, he says, you know, well, look, in, the, in fact, you're not actually pure, you're impure. They're a source of impurity for everyone who comes near them because of the way they live. In the laws in Leviticus, so touching a dead body, if you did that, that would make you unclean for worship until you'd been washed again. In the Pharisees, he says in verse 44, he says, you're like an unmarked grave. So people will come past you and unawares become impure before God because of the way you are. You're like a dead body. There's no value in their public declarations of purity. So that's the Pharisees, their woes. And then the teachers of the law stick their heads up. One of them says, teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. Now, you know, when Jesus was on a roll like this, I'm not sure that I would have stuck my neck out. What have you got for me? He has words for them too. Firstly, he says to them, woe, because they are teachers, but they're not very good teachers. They're defective teachers. They give people heavy loads to bear. That is, they teach them all the rules that they need to obey. But they don't help them actually keep them, and they don't make it easy for people to approach God and to do the right thing. Secondly, they have a habit of honouring prophets from God after those prophets are dead. Their ancestors... As they're, but they're not honouring, so they don't honour what the prophets would have wanted. If they were, in fact, they were the kind of people who would have killed the prophets um, if they were around today. So it's hypocrisy to honour them when they're dead. They wouldn't listen to them. And finally, these teachers, he says, instead of them being helpful to, to simple people, they're actually actively obstacles to people not coming to know God. They stop people from understanding the good news and from accepting Jesus and from um, listening to what he has to say, but they don't, and they don't come in themselves, so no one wins. They don't come into the kingdom of God themselves. So it's hard to see how much more useless you could be as a religious leader. So overall... These woes and the, this discussion is a classic description of religious hypocrisy. So what Jesus would say, I think, is that what God wants from his people and what he's asking from them is a whole life for him, to be really pure inside and out, to believe and to do, to have a changed heart and changed actions, to have integrity. The hypocrite chooses only the things on the outside. They only do part of the whole life that God asks and the part that makes them look good and the part that makes them feel good. That's the source of this problem. And so, in doing so, they miss out on God's presence. They don't recognise Jesus when he's with them and for who he is. And they're supposed to be teaching others to do the right thing, but they're leading them astray. It's a failure. And this is what he saw around him. And the sad judgment that he gives at the end of this passage is quite memorable in verse 52. Woe to you experts in the law because you have taken away the key to knowledge. You yourselves have not entered and you have hindered those who were entering. As you might remember from the theme of this gospel as we looked at it, the whole point of Jesus' teaching of his life and his ministry was to make the kingdom of God available to people in a new way to open it up to them. 
The kingdom of God is the presence of God in their lives. God is living right in their center, and he was right before them now in Jesus. It's the kingdom of God that all the laws of Leviticus and the rest were pointing towards and encouraging people to hope for. So it's tragic to consider that people supposedly trying to keep these laws the most strictly were stopping themselves and other people from entering the kingdom when it came. It's the tragedy of this story. But yet that is the problem of this hypocrisy, the religious hypocrisy, as we see at that time. Now, that is not a topic that is difficult to translate to the life of Christians and the church today. In fact, it is sadly too easy to do so. But I do want to encourage us as we do that just to do it carefully and look at our own hearts first when we think about this and how it applies to us. Because the fact is, sadly, um, the followers of Jesus over the years have often fallen into the same trap that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law did in their own day. The trap of choosing only one part or a section of the gospel to take seriously and to be hypocrites about the rest. This is a very serious thing when we do it, and I think something we need to take stock of in our lives. To my mind, there are at least two varieties of this that we see perhaps in the church, depending somewhat on our tradition and the history of our own particular community. Uh, so what we might see in some parts of the church, there is a bit of a temptation to be a bit like the Pharisees in this passage. So to be concerned with outward religious activities and customs and practices and not to be too fussed with a changed heart or a life outside the church. Um, we might worry about how often we attend worship, how active we're seen by others to be in our religious activities. How often do I pray? How often do I read the Bible? Do I, whether we talk a lot about Jesus, whether I keep a fish sticker on my car, rear windscreen, do I listen to Christian music and Christian radio and all these things that are signs of Christianity. But not alongside that, to be too worried about the issues of things like injustice in our world or being close to people that Jesus was concerned about, people who are trying to enter the kingdom of God and to know him. In fact, avoiding those people. This is one problem. Or at other times we might fall into the problem that the teachers of the law had. I would describe this problem as being biblical believers but not actually doing much of what the Bible says. Worrying about being correct in our beliefs but not actually putting those beliefs into practice. The teachers of the law knew a lot about the scriptures. They know a lot more than you or I do. But they didn't care about people. They didn't care about what the scriptures was telling them to do. They didn't behave like the loving God that they worshipped. They were correct, but they were not kind. They were orthodox, but they were not gracious or joyful in their faith. And that may describe many of us who call ourselves Christians today. And I think these are sad things when they happen, and the result is the same as it was in Jesus' day when this is true for us. We do see lots of people who have been hurt or rejected or thrown out of the church. People who are seeking God because they don't measure up to standards of purity that might be set in a particular culture that we have. And I acknowledge this may be the case for some of those who are with us today or who are watching online. And I think it's unfortunate. One of the main things that people in contemporary Australia tend to know about Christians is how hypocritical we can be. Um, there are many groups of people who don't want much to do with Jesus or with God because of the problem of hypocrisy. That's the, that's the plain truth. 
This is a problem that we need, Christians need to address as part of our discipleship, as part of our outreach. And I think if we do try, and I think some, many people are, we will be on a long journey then because we need to unravel lies and trauma that have been done in the name of Jesus, in the, in the name of hypocrisy. It's one, I think it's one of the big tasks of the Australian church in the next generation or two is to accept what we've done wrong and to heal from it and to work with others who need to healing too. And I suggest that can only be done slowly with humility and relying on grace. But I don't want to dwell on that exclusively, however, because it's easy to see hypocrisy in other people. And maybe as I've been talking, you've been thinking of people that you know who are like this. That's why Twitter is the way that it is. It's very easy to pick out how other people have failed, to identify hypocrisy out there in them and to fall in an over, overly critical and cynical attitude towards other believers. But the reality is, and this is the big point, the reality is all of us are hypocrites. All of us who follow Jesus are hypocrites to some extent. None of us live up to the standards that we say we believe in. All of us have only really lived out just a part of the whole gospel yet. And there's a lot of growing and learning that we still need to do. Hypocrisy is the basic state of all imperfect people. And so, because that's who we are, we create hypocritical cultures and institutions in our own image. So I think the encouragement from this passage is really firstly that we should just acknowledge that that's the case. And we should avoid the attitude that the Pharisees had, had who ignored their failures. They strengthened their hypocrisy by not being truthful about the way things really were, even when the Jesus told them what they were doing. That's why in the end, of course, we always need to come back to Jesus himself when we think about this topic, because we know we fail and our leaders fail. And we do still find it hard to enter into the experience of the kingdom of God today. And in fact, we may have been an obstacle to that experience for both for ourselves and for others, as the teachers of the law were, which we need to repent of if that's the case. But... Again, Jesus is our leader. Jesus is the king. Jesus is the one who, who we're following. And we know, as we sang, and we will sing, that he is without any hypocrisy at all. The way he lived was entirely in keeping with who he was and what he came to do. And so he offers us forgiveness and restoration for our hypocrisy and the fullness of God in the safety of knowing that we, Jesus will never fail us as all the rest of us will fail each other. That's our hope as we travel with him. So we're going to pray and we're going to sing a few songs to help us reflect more on our need for grace as we come out of hypocrisy. Let's pray. Lord, we acknowledge as we come before you that the things that we do are not always what we say and that there is much in which we fail. We pray that you would open our eyes to that both individually and as a church and as a community of Christian people in this area. And we pray that we would be known for grace and transparency about the failures and needs that we have. We pray that you would heal us, restore us and lift us up. We pray that your kingdom would come in our midst. We pray all this in your name. Amen.